0: We've been, over the last few weeks, uh, finding Jesus. We began by finding Jesus in Genesis. Uh, now we're finding Jesus in Exodus. And um, we're kind of nearing the end of our Finding Jesus series. Uh, and so we're going to have today and then next Sunday in Exodus. And then we'll be, uh, we'll be done with the Finding Jesus series. Uh, but my hope is, is that all of us will continue to find Jesus Uh, My hope is that the series has not just been uh, inspirational, but also helpful uh, in helping you to see and to understand how we read scripture with Christ as the interpretive center. Uh, And that's really been the whole goal of this series, is to provide examples and inspiration of how uh, we as Christians can read the scriptures with Jesus as the interpretive center. Uh, If we believe that Jesus is the living word of God and that the scriptures point us to Jesus... And that is to say that we can go and find Jesus all throughout the scriptures, even in the Old Testament. Uh, it's been a really uh, great series. I want to tell you about um, a resource that, I, that you may find helpful. Um, I have been, throughout this series, preaching from the New Living Translation, which is a little bit of a uh, departure for me. I usually preach from the NIV or the NRSV. Uh, but I'm doing that from the, the New Living Translation because there's this really great Bible called the Jesus centered bible uh, which is a resource to help you do exactly what we've been doing so if you are reading in the old testament and anytime a new testament author references that story there's just like a little blue sidebar and it connects that story to jesus so it does exactly what we've been doing throughout this series so if you've had some aha moments through this series, you might consider picking up a Jesus-centered Bible and doing some of your uh, study and reading uh, from that Bible. I think it might be helpful for you. Um, Now, we've only spent four weeks in Exodus. Uh, There's clearly way more to talk about in Exodus uh, in finding Jesus there, but since Lent is right around the corner, uh, we're going to turn our attention to that. So a couple weeks from today, uh, we're going to begin a brand new series called The Meaning of the Cross. And so for the entirety of Lent uh, we're going to be just exploring what does the cross mean? What does the cross of Christ mean? So it should be really great. Uh, so uh, the last time we left the biblical narrative, Israel had just crossed the Red Sea uh, and they had, left Is- they had left Egypt as a free people and then were headed toward a land of their own, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. However, between the bondage of Egypt and and the free land of Canaan is a wilderness. Between the freedom of Egypt, or the bondage of Egypt, and the free land of Canaan is a wilderness. Which is to say, between the bonds of slavery and the land that is flowing with milk and honey was a desert. Not a desert, but a desert. Okay? Uh, and really, this is how life works, isn't it? Uh, We are often brought to a place where we know we need to leave something behind and set off in a new direction, but between the letting go and the arrival of the new thing, there is often a season of wilderness, Uh, which is to say between the freedom from something and the future flourishing is a time of floundering. And you wondered what pastors do all week. I'll say it again, just because I don't think you heard it fully, okay? Like pastors love alliteration, so I'll say it again, because you weren't quite ready for it. It was pretty early in the message. So between the freedom from something and the future flourishing is a time of floundering. <laughs> yeah, for amen, that's right. <laughs> All right. Hey, in, in so many ways, that is to say, the journey of Israel reflects our own journey. Uh, Sort of between this freedom from something and then this promise of something new comes this season of wilderness. And so it reflects our own journey. And the truth is the wilderness can be brutal. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, uh, the first seven verses. I believe it will be up on the screens for you. You can follow along. You can click there in your devices. Or if you're old school like me, you can churn there in your Bible. Uh, But Exodus chapter 17, beginning with uh, verse 1 through verse 7, says this. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin. This is not a metaphor. The wilderness was actually named sin. Okay, so this isn't like, ooh, the wilderness of sin. But, I mean, maybe it could be that. But quite literally, it's just called the wilderness of sin. All right, so at the Lord's command, the whole company of Israel left the wilderness of sin, moved from place to place, and eventually they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one, used, uh, the one that you used uh, to strike the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and the water will come gushing out, then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock, as he was told, and the water gushed out as the elders looked on. Then Moses named the place Massa, which means test. And Meribah, which means arguing, <laughs> he named the place Test and Arguing. Uh, he's like literal naming, right? Uh, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is, this, uh, is the Lord here with us or not? Is the Lord here with us or not? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, wilderness travel can be Brutal. And Israel came to a place in the wilderness where they could not find a source of water. Uh, If you've ever camped, you know that it's always good to camp near a water source. Uh, But they camped there at Rephidim. They couldn't find a source of water. And of course, we know that water is essential for life. And not having a source of water to sustain the congregation of Israel there then was a big deal. And they were quite literally began to die of thirst. And they understandably got upset and directed their anger toward Moses. uh, Because someone always needs to bear the brunt of the people's anger. Uh, And so Moses uh, bore that brunt. And and so they say to him, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness just to die? And essentially they were saying, you know what? Life was hard in Egypt as uh, an enslaved people, but at least we had drink and at least we had food. We had some reliable things in the midst of this difficult life of slavery, but you've brought us out here. We are free, but now we are dying of thirst. As the people cry out against Moses, Moses cried out to God. God tells Moses to hit his staff against a big rock. Let's pause. (laughs) The company of Israel is dying of thirst. Which means the situation is not, I haven't had my Starbucks today. Uh, The situation is, I'm quite literally dying of thirst. So when Moses goes to God with a God-sized problem, God tells Moses to hit his staff on a rock. If I were Moses, I think I would have said, I don't think you heard the situation. (laughs) I don't think you quite comprehend what's happening here. Uh, there's going this is going to do very little good, um, but with nothing to lose, Moses decide, does as God asks and water gushes out of the rock and Israel's thirst is quenched in the wilderness. Now, before you think that this miracle is something akin to uh, filling your Yeti brand vacuum sealed, double walled 32 ounce water bottle, uh, let's remember two things. Which, no offense, if you actually own a Yeti brand, double-walled, vacuum-sealed, 32-ounce water bottle. It's not like I'm, I don't have my eye on you. It was a generic example. Uh, But let's remember two things. First, the company of Israel is a million strong. It's a million strong. So that's a lot of water bottles, right? Uh, Not to mention the the needs of the livestock for water. Uh, Second, Moses is told, And this is, like, you would miss this if you didn't have a map in your head. And I don't have a map in my head, but I looked at a map. And here's, here's, Moses is told to strike the rock at Mount Horeb or at Mount Sinai, right? Horeb and Sinai are the same location. But they, but the company is camped at Rephidim. Now, these two locations aren't super far away, but at least one is a mountaintop away from the other, right? Right? And so they're not, but what's clear is they're not the same place. Go to Sinai, but they're camped at Rephidim. Go to Sinai and take some elders with you and then strike the rock. So the picture that we're given here is not of a small trickle of water coming from the rock where everyone sort of gets in line and fills water bottles. Uh, The picture that we get in this passage is of water flowing from a mountain to help the people that are camped miles away and enough water to sustain a million plus people. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I, um, in Sunday school, when they taught us this uh, story, I often had to color a picture of this story and there was a little bitty rock, you know, and Moses kind of hitting it with a little tiny stick and then just a couple drops of water coming out. You're like, where's the blue crown? You know, where's the brown crown and all this stuff? And you get this picture of just like a a little bit of like a, a water fountain in the desert. Oh, thank goodness, right? This is not the picture. The picture is you're camped at Rephidim. There's no water. Go up to Mount Sinai with some elders, hit the rock. And water from the rock comes gushing down and provides a river. That flows down the mountain with enough water to sustain a million people. This is the size of the miracle. Right? In other words, the picture of the scripture is dry wilderness that has very little to sustain life. Is then soaked in life-giving water from a rock. A dry wilderness that cannot sustain life then filled with life-giving water from a rock. That's the picture. Yes and amen. Let's find Jesus. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I don't think this will be on the screen. I I didn't provide it to Daniel, so you'll just have to listen or follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I said chapter 4. I meant verse chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. (laughs) Crazy, right? Okay. So. In this section of 1 Corinthians, what Paul is doing is he's actually talking to the Christians in Corinth about how to discern what food they are allowed to eat. That's what's happening contextually. And essentially his main point is uh, that our allegiance belongs to God. And so we shouldn't make idols out of certain rules that govern our life, right? Let's not elevate rules as idols and make them the main thing, but let's follow God. That's contextually what's happening here. And specifically, he's saying don't make idols out of certain rules related to the food that you can or can't eat. Now, to help make this point or in service of this larger point, Paul uses Israel's example in the desert as a negative example. As essentially, let's not make idols like they did, even though our Israelite brothers and sisters in the faith uh, experienced the great faithfulness of God, they still made idols. So let's not do that, Paul is saying, uh, when it comes to food laws. Let's not make idols out of the laws. But as he's painting a picture of God's faithfulness to Israel in the wilderness and calling the Corinthian church to fidelity to God, he makes a really interesting interpretive move. Did you catch it? He says that Christ is the water providing rock. But more than that. He actually envisions that the water providing rock traveled with them through the wilderness. Now, here's why I think Paul kind of envisioned this rock traveling with them. The story of the rock at Mount Horeb is actually told in Exodus chapter 17, which we looked at, but it's also told in Numbers chapter 20. So it's, uh, it's a It's a bit told a bit differently in Numbers, but it's the exact same story. So Paul is reading from his the only Bible that he knows, which is what we know as the Old Testament, right? So Paul is reading the Hebrew Scriptures, and he reads about the water spewing out of a rock in Exodus. And then he gets to Leviticus, where the law is given. And then he reads about that same rock in the next book, Numbers. And it appears that the rock, then, is traveling with the Israelite company through the desert, providing water, right? Let's pause here a moment. Can you imagine a rock traveling with you? This, this is actually a really funny picture, if you, if you get it. Like, I just envision a rock sort of like shuffling along the ground with them, and then somebody looking at their neighbor and being like, have you noticed that rock? Isn't that the same rock? Is it looking at me? Is it smiling at me? Like, like you know what, like it's kind of a funny thing. The, the image that comes to my mind is those old cartoons uh, when the character hides from behind a bush but then brings the bush with them as they follow. Right? That's the image that comes to mind. Or this kind of like shuffling along the ground, just like Sam the snowman from the claymation Rudolph, you know what I mean? You're like, he just kind of shuffles along the snow, and you're like, how is he moving? But he is nonetheless. That is the rock, right? Okay, so let, let's get that out of our minds. Like, but, but what the Apostle Paul does is he says, This rock is Christ, and the rock is traveling with the company of Israel. Through the wilderness. To Paul, the rock is Christ, which means if you are looking for Jesus, you might even find him in a rock. Let's answer a really important question. Does the Apostle Paul believe that Jesus is an actual water-providing rock following Israel through the desert? Of course not. Right. Of course, the Apostle Paul does not think that Christ is an actual, literal, tangible, physical rock following Israel through the wilderness. So what does the Apostle Paul believe, and what is the word for us, and how do we find Jesus? Well, here is where it gets good. The Apostle Paul believes that in the wilderness moments of life, Jesus does not abandon us but follows us through the wilderness and provides us with spiritual drink. (laughs) The Apostle Paul believes that in the wilderness moments of life, Jesus does not abandon us, but follows us into the wilderness and provides us with spiritual drink. Paul's essentially declaring through this interpretive move that Jesus is the one who can quench our thirst in the wilderness moments of life. I'd be willing to bet that at least some of you in this room have had some wilderness moments of life in the last two years, right? I'd be willing to bet. And really, that's the sermon. The sermon is... Whatever the nature of your wilderness, Jesus has not abandoned you. But is there following you, providing you with spiritual drink to quench your thirst. Wilderness comes to us in a variety of ways. Wilderness moments and wilderness seasons of life can come to us through disappointment. And I'm not talking about the kind of disappointment when after church you'll remember again that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. I'm talking about the real disappointments of life. Right? Wilderness moments can be ushered in through moments and seasons of disappointment. Wilderness can also come to us from disillusionment. Disillusionment often comes in the form of what I once thought was this way, I now realize is maybe not exactly that. And now I have to kind of rethink everything. I have to reorganize. I have to reshuffle. I have to reorient, right? You might call it disillusionment. You might also call it disorientation. Wilderness can come through disorientation of life. It occurs to me that um, wilderness can also come from grief of something or someone lost. We've had a number of members of our community grieving from losses. Um, More than any time that I can remember of people, loved ones dying and just the grief that is experienced and quite frankly, the wilderness that can follow. And so whether it's through disappointment or disillusionment or whether from grief, whatever the cause of wilderness that we walk through, the good news today is that Jesus does not abandon us, but walks with you to provide you with a balm for the soul. Because, listen, wilderness, like the camp at Rephidim, can can so many times feel like a place that cannot sustain life. Right, You're in the wilderness and you're like, there is no way I can continue to live like this. Something's got to give. Something has to change. And that's when you see the river of God's grace and presence and comfort come to sustain life in the wilderness. And that's Jesus. In fact, I would say the wilderness is not you walking away from God because God follows you there. <laughs> like how many times or how many people have I known and how many times in my own life has it been like, I'm going to walk away from God. This wilderness, I can't, have, I can't stand it. It will not sustain life in this moment. I'm walking away. And God says, I'm already following you, right? But here's something even more radical. Provenient grace says this. Provenient grace says, not just that God is following you, but God went ahead of you and meets you there. (laughs) And it's just like, no matter which direction you try to go, God has got you, right? God is going before you. God is following after you. You cannot escape the presence of our good God. Amen. It occurs to me, have you heard this term of faith deconstruction? Uh, there's a lot of people who are disillusioned right now. A lot of people. And so this morning, it occurs to me that there may be some in this room who are disillusioned by Christianity as a religious system. You thought Christianity meant one thing, and it was exposed to something else, and now you've got to reorient the whole thing and figure out, is there a way to continue to be Christian that, can, that will resonate and make sense? And so you're disillusioned. It occurs to me that whether you are here in the room this morning, you're listening online or listening to this later, that there may be somebody who is disappointed by the institution of church. I won't ask for a raise of hands. (laughs) Um, But I've certainly had moments in my life where the church let me down. And so there's this disillusionment. There's this disappointment. If you're there this morning, could I encourage you to hold on to Jesus, who is the rock, who quenches your thirst for that which is real and authentic and true. Because oftentimes, that's what happens, is our disillusionment, our, our disappointment comes from a lack of authenticity, um, an exposure of, what, uh, of, of something not being real in the, in the ways that we thought it was, or not being true in the ways that we always understood. And so we long for something that is truly real, truly authentic. And I would say that Jesus, hold on to Jesus, the rock in the wilderness. You may be wandering in the wilderness of grief today. And I would encourage you, hold on to Jesus, the rock, who offers you comfort, peace, and presence in the midst of wilderness of grief. And so church, the good news this morning Is that in the wilderness moments of life, no matter their cause, Jesus does not abandon us, but follows us into the wilderness and provides us with spiritual drink. And so my prayer is that the God who is revealed to us in Christ would, in fact, quench our thirst. That the God who is revealed to us in Christ would, in fact, quench our thirst. Um... And the Apostle Paul, uh, through his willingness to read the scriptures to find Jesus, offers us this beautiful picture. That Jesus is the rock who is providing the water for our souls, amen? Amen, let me say a word of prayer for us and then I'll lead us to the table for communion. Gracious God, we have come here this morning from all different places and walks of life and different spiritual journeys, all of us in different places. And no doubt some of us in this room, disappointed, disillusioned, nearly giving up on faith or the church or both. And so God today, I pray that you would provide water for our souls, that we would be able to drink from the well that offers us the water of life. Lord, may your Holy Spirit and the divine presence be so real in these moments together uh, that we would be encouraged, that we would be lifted up and that we would be motivated and inspired maybe to change something about our lives or habits that we participate in. Like there's room, God, for your movement and your correction in our lives. We also recognize, God, today that we need, we need to be filled with spiritual drink. And so, God, would you be faithful um, as we know you to be? would you be faithful to meet us in this place? And I pray that our gathering together today, whether through prayer or communion or through singing or just interaction with one another, I pray that in fact our gathering together today has done just that. So Lord, be with us in these moments as we gather around your table, meet us here, quench our thirst. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.